Hello friends, I'm Joseph and this is Almost Sound. We started Almost Sound and its podcast series with one main intention, to help artists, promoters, record label owners, playlist curators and others in the music industry share their message and views with the world. We hope that you will get inspired by their stories, experiences and work, and that by spending time with them at home, you will also get to know them as people. Without further ado, let's welcome today's guest. Doug is a DJ and very respected producer who is strong in creating grooves and rhythms, often of beat but still dancefloor oriented. His music has made regular appearances on labels such as Mord, Elements, Them, and Lady Upperberry, plus a number of remixes on imprints such as, but not only, Green Fetish Records, Coincidence Records, and others. Flamin and I also had the honor to have his remix for a spoon off destination on Madame Psychosis Records. Besides being a strong producer and touring DJ, Lag is also an active supporter of up-and-coming producers, and has hosted a Twitch livestream, and now is offering a series of feedback sessions for other producers. In this chat, we go deep into making offbeat music, and why this might or might not work for everyone, and we explore the beginnings of broken techno. We talk about contrasting opinions with people, and we also touch on the subjects of anxiety and depression. And if these weren't enough for a single podcast, you might see that both Lag and I could talk forever about interesting topics. We explore the natural narcissism that affects creators and the evergreen topic of finding fulfillment. In all of this, what strikes is not only Lag's humor, humanity, and capacity of not taking things too seriously, but also his preparation and strong passion for his craft. Enjoy. Lag, thanks so much for being with us. It's a pleasure to have you here. Yep, thank you for having me. Yeah, great. Um, I, I think so. A couple, a couple of things. I, I think you've been very active during lockdown, which has been a, a crazy time for everyone, and also for people in the music industry. What is one thing that you have, you feel you have learned during these couple of months, and that perhaps you know stays with you after lockdown? Um, well, there's two things. Um, one which is uh, something that we we actually talked about just before the interview this is that i have um sort of forgotten um how to enjoy just jamming you know i've 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 created this um connection between making music and having an end product because that's that's kind of the goal if, if you're if you're meaning to live off of this then then you have to turn your hobby into a job meaning that um, you have to start thinking about, you know, if something you're investing your time in is going to be released, if it's going to be, you know, um, uh, shared around enough so that you actually get some gigs off of it and stuff like that. So, yeah. um, I'm using this time to relearn how to just enjoy the process of, uh, jamming, making music, uh, without any goal. Like if I make a, a loop, I'm happy with it. If I <clears throat> just sit down and play around with some gear that I have without actually accomplishing anything, just like enjoying the, you know, the, the playing with around with knobs and, you know, hitting random keys without having any idea what the fuck I'm doing. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's just fun. So I'm, I'm relearning to, I'm, I'm finding new value in this, um, and I'm relearning to, to do it. Um, the second thing is that I, um, 
I, I always perceived this whole thing like with the music scene and uh, the clubbing and um, I always had this like I, I, I actually worked in a, in a company for, for a while and they used to call me the naysayer because I, I would basically um, the, the, the worst possible scenarios would, would come to my mind and I usually go with them. Um, yeah. But so my, my vision of, of the clubbing scene was always that most of the people don't really care about the music so much or the scene um, until it's weekend. So basically they would have like Monday to Friday, they would have their own lives where um, clubbing doesn't really get to them that much. And it's like, okay, I have a life, I have a life, I have a life. And then, uh, you know, work, family, friends, blah, blah. And then the weekend is there. And then they kind of remember, oh yeah, there's this thing called, you know, clubbing scene and um like with electronic music and stuff like that yeah um and they don't really pay much attention to it outside of uh, the weekend Mm -hmm. uh but it has turned out that like seeing so many people support and uh think about it and jump onto streams and you know not only djing streams but also like production streams and um those chit chats and like the everything that's been happening during lockdown yeah. uh seeing so much support and seeing um people not only supporting with their time but also with uh, money which like knowing that someone is going to give you money uh whilst we all expect like a recession and very tough times ahead of us it's really, you know, it, it, it shows um, a certain amount of uh, sacrificing for uh, something that one would have to see beyond just like a weekend yeah. respite from your life. Um, so I'm very, very pleasantly sur- surprised um, and very glad that I was wrong in my assessment of, you know, <laughs> how, yeah. how people see clubbing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of things that I would like to discuss more about what you just said. Let's start with the first one, which is like, I think if I summarize it correctly, it's like you're refocusing on the process instead of uh, and putting all your attention and energy on the outcome that comes from making music. Um, uh, yeah, but, but also there's, um, it's, it's a different, I remember watching, uh, what was his name? Um, Mick Gordon, the guy who composed music for Doom. Mm-hmm. Um, which is one of my favorite soundtracks of all time, especially from video games. And I actually bought the record. It's, it's, um, uh, sometimes it, it's, it's on my wall of love, which as you can see, it's, it's behind yeah. me. Um, so it's, it's amazing, like uh, metal music, which sounds like no other metal music uh, for the very reason that he would um, take the time, meet up with friends once a week and they would just experiment. And um, so even if we were looking this through the prism of productivity and um, like making something new and making something different, it's still a situation where one should take the time to just jam and experiment and play around, which I didn't really do enough because I had a feeling. um, So last year I made more music than I did in the past seven years combined, basically. Um, most of it is not out. Um, some of it is still up for grabs, but, um, I'm sorry. Um, there's, um, this was because of my mindset that I have to get things done 
And whenever I would start doing anything that doesn't lead towards an end product, I would just get anxious and stop enjoying it. Got it. Um, but it turns out that like immediately I, I, during lockdown, I sold some gear that um, was too like menu divey where you had to spend a lot of time exploring the machine and blah, blah. <clears throat> and I bought a bunch of stuff, which is uh, basically just straight um, like playfulness. Uh, like you immediately get into it and start exploring the sounds and whatever. Um, so uh, amongst other things, I bought the Minilog XD mm-hmm. and immediately like within, you can just turn it on and like uh, some get through some very basic tutorial and already you can find new things to do and play with. Um, so I'm really, really, really enjoying it. And I'm really um, finding new things and new, way, new ways to express myself. Yes. Um, and it's, it's, it's especially fun when you, by accident, you discover something that has been like a sound that you were not necessarily after, but it's like, um, so for example, there's a, there's a thing that I now know how to set up and it just sounds like Robert Hood. And I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. So I, I get the last, you know, like 10 years of Robert Hood, okay. Um, it could be, yeah, you know, that, that machine or uh, that yeah, yeah. yeah, it's 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 more a concept, but it's still like this machine is so fun at, at getting you there. So, yeah. um, so you, you know, need, it's... Yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 it's, it's just, um, I was just going to say it. It's, it's very, it's very fun and it's very uh, rewarding, actually. And it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's that kind of thing where you have to... Um, you have to explain to yourself that it's not a waste of time because there is no end product. It's, it's, um, you know, it's, it's good for the soul and it's also good for work. Um, so I, I'm looking forward to keeping that in mind, even after this whole thing is gone. Yeah. I find that beautiful. And I think it's one of the best things for people who experience that, uh, especially of the lockdown, because it's like, especially if you make dance music and then at some point there's no fucking club and nobody is dancing and you have yeah. to be like, hmm, why do, should I make dance music? You question that at least and it comes to yeah. you, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, there's one, one comment that I want to make around that, which is the losing sense of self. We can talk about that a bit later. Mm-hmm. But what I want to say is that um, there is a book that I've read called The, the War of Art that is a book by a guy called Stephen Pressfield where he makes, um, he brings up the concept of um, hierarchy versus territory, where he says a lot of people, especially when they create something or they're working towards something, like for example, artists, they are um, uh, thinking about their purpose in a hierarchical way. I want to be the best, or I want to be better than the other person, right? Mm -hmm. So eventually they start chasing uh, being better than other people and they measure their success and their happiness based on the scale where they are. So I'm better than these people. They try to beat the next one up. And then the paradox of that is that it's never fulfilling. It brings to happiness temporarily. But then eventually, even when you get at the top and you are the best of the best, what's the point? Then you question yourself like, what am I racing for? Opposite to that, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's um, what is happiness? It's a moment before you want more happiness. Exactly. But then eventually, like, it's uh, almost like having a glass that is never, that is, as a whole, it's never, it can never be full for a long time. Yeah. yeah. And, and on the other side of the spectrum, you have the territory, which means 
you have your territory and that territory kind of overlaps in some places with other people where you compete or collaborate or whatever. But the point is that you would do that thing anyways, even if you were the only person on earth. And that is where you find joy in by making the art, by putting yourself in, in doing the process. And he, I think he brings the example of Arnold Schwarzenegger who was like, you know, high performer, uh, interesting character as well. And he says, he's the guy that like, yeah, of course he trained to be Mr. Olympian and of course he was competitive, but he, he is the guy that would, do, would train even if he were the only person in this entire world. And that is yeah. the thing that, you know, and he says, as a creator, you might want to question yourself, uh, why are you doing what you're doing? And if it's for hierarchy, you're kind of a bonding yourself to something that is not going to bring you happiness or fulfillment more than happiness, mm. actually. So it's an interesting concept that I think, um, yeah, what you said reminded me of that. Yeah, but it, it's, um, it's also, I don't know, it's, it's um, <clears throat> for myself, it's not that, it's, uh, I'm sorry, um, it's not that clean cut. I, I, I don't know how to, um, you know, the, the, the concept you described is it's, it's, it, it divides things into sort of two categories, but there's so much stuff that overlaps and it's so that this was very, very, very confusing for me. So, um, I mean, not, not the concept, but this entire period, uh, because yeah. of the concept that you explained. So for example, I have, um, um, so I, I, I basically have this absolutist, uh, way of thinking, which is shit, but, uh, I have it. Meaning and that you're, you're thinking is polarized. It's like, uh, I believe this and that's it. Is that what you mean? No, no, no. Ab absolutists. Um, it's, it's more of a thing like it's either zero or hundred percent. Hmm. So it's, it's, it's either that I think that I'm, I know everything about something or I will just, um, uh, give myself uh, a hard time about like, uh, I will see it as a 0%, even though it's like 70 to 90%, I will still see it as not good enough. And it's, it's just, you know, bad. Um, yes. so in, uh, in this way, I, last year I managed to, for the first time ever, I managed to pat myself on the back for something, even though it wasn't hundred percent, it was like, okay, what you wanted to achieve with, this is um decent uh actually it was it was about djing because i i sort of i grew up on jeff mills and dave clark and uh listening to people who um share my view of djing which is that first of all especially when it comes to techno techno is sort of like even though it can be very magical and, and it can be very elaborate and, and it can have a lot of um you know, story behind it and stuff like that. A lot of techno is just tool music. And when I say just tool music, I don't need, I don't mean that pejoratively, like me, you know, devaluating it. It's very, very hard to mm -hmm. sort of um, capture an interesting enough emotion and feeling that it doesn't bore you, even though it's not changing that much for like five, six minutes. Yeah. Uh, but it, it is that it's predictable. There's like the, you know, four, eight, 16, 32 thing. Um, it's also very, um, it's, it's very um, contained when it, when it comes to um, differences in like the dy dynamics of the expression and everything, like the, the arrangements are very um, tame 
um, comparing uh, co when compared to, for example, uh, some IDM stuff and, you know, like pop music and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, DJing was always a thing where you use the tools which are at your disposal to, um, you, you have the ability to change them to you be the person who creates their dynamic and everything. Yeah. Um, and to shape a new thing out of them that will then become yours. Yeah. Um, so even though there are things that like, there are still people who I am in awe, for example, I'm in awe at Chris's, uh, the, the, the person running uh, token okay. records. Yeah. Uh, he has such good like musical sense and, and um, um, like, what was the word? He has patience. Uh, with music compared to myself. Um, Sunil is so great at um, picking out a certain kind of banger that would never occur to me to play. And like his beat matching is insane. Um, yes, yeah, Sunil Sharp. And um, DJ Pete, just like the selection, the how much he digs for great music and uh, the, his yes. knowledge of techno and, and electronic music and stuff like that. And... Um, I don't think I will ever be able to beat those guys. Yeah. Um, you know, DJ Bone with his effects and like uh, scratching and everything. It's it's like there's people who are just uh, godlike in a certain kind of way. Yes. But I, I realized that the thing that I actually was mo most passionate about and that I really, really wanted to go into, which is basically including all these different kinds of um, genres and... Um, making it all fit together even though i'm taking very hard turns um very often mm. um I, I i got to a point where i was like okay you're okay you know you're 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 not absolutely horrible uh, and there's no reason for you to like there's always stuff to learn and there's always stuff to blah blah but you yeah. can kind of uh you know get get there um that said um when it comes to production, even though I'm hap sort of happy with where I am uh, when it comes to like sound design and production value and stuff like that, there's still this fight in me um, that is like literally the two sides that you just explained through that analogy, they are both present in me. So for example, um, I'm obsessed with the groove. I'm obsessed with making something that's sort of uh, different and um, um, that has a certain um, very noticeable amount of densibility in it and um, that has different rhythms and stuff that's maybe not so obvious and not so like easy to digest, but it, it kind of creates something um, of value and open certain doors. But at the same time, I still have people who come to me and say, this track is unplayable. And, yeah. and these, these are like, these are people who love my music and who are well, uh, they're not trying to like, uh, you know, challenge me or anything. They're just like saying, okay, this is, this is so difficult for me and I cannot um, make this work. So it's, 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 it's sort of a struggle between this is the music that I want to make and I want to make it whether someone likes it or not and whether someone plays it or not. But then at the same time, I'm aware of the art of making a tool 
and making it functional and making it usable and making it um, accessible to anyone who wants to use the emotion that you were yeah. uh, trying to create. Um, so so it, it is in, in the same way as that, I, I still have like a thing in my head where, okay, I want to make music, but then at the same time, but I'm, what is the music for? Who is it for? Right. Uh, does it work? And within the does it work is the equation of why make music and release it when there is no platform for it to be used the way it's supposed to be used. Meaning there are no clubs, yes. there are no parties and stuff like that. And, and even that, like there's a, you know, there's, there, there's always, um, there's, um, uh, was he a Dutch? I think he was a Dutch philosopher, um, Kierkegaard, who was, um, he, he basically came up with the word that we today know as angst, which is whatever you choose, there's going to, there's going to be regret. You know, there's no one perfect choice or anything. Um, and basically there's, um, like if you don't make music, you're going to regret it. If you make music, you're going to regret it. So it's, it's, it's down to um, choosing what sort of making music brings you joy and what sort of um, music brings you money if you're, going to, if you're going to chase that. So right now there's absolutely no money in, in, in the whole equation. And I, I think that if I were to make music that is sort of... Um, for clubbing or anything, it would just remind me of the fact that something that I dearly, dearly love is not available available right now. Yeah. Um, so for me right now, the, the choice is just like, do not finish anything. Do not remind yourself that this is something that, you know, is going to fall on um, like home listening um, speakers, which are, it's, it's, you know. It's different, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 different, and and all, by the way, this is also one of my conundrums. Like, do do you make like when when I was growing up, all the music that was being made for clubs was being made for clubs, yeah. and these days there's so much music which is made to sound huge and powerful on home listening. Yeah. Like if you play it off of YouTube, it's going to sound uh, very yeah. very aggressive and huge and powerful. But if you play it in a club, it's just it's just noise. Um, and also, like, if you record mixes at home, do you record it for someone who's listening to it at home? Or are you recording um, stuff uh, that is um, supposed to represent what you do in the club? And then who lists, like, are people going to be able to appreciate it listening from their home speakers or, like, air earbuds or whatever? Yeah. Um, so, um, it's it's sort of, as you can see, I'm, I'm full of these... <laughs> Kierkegaardian um, of course uh, conundrums and then uh, it's it's down to actually making a choice and then sticking to it knowing that um, there's a certain benefit to to one choice that you would prefer over over the other yes yeah, of course I mean it's, it's not a black and white thing and and I think it also changes over time um, yeah exactly exactly yeah exactly as you, as you mentioned before and one thing that is very interesting is I think these Lockdown presented the opportunity for people who generally do club music, like yourself, for instance, to be a bit more free from that. It's painful as fuck, but it's also like it makes it a bit more free to be like, you know what, I'm just going to enjoy playing with this machine today. If it's not like playable in a club, I don't care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. It gives you back the, the time or 
it relieves the pressure from saying it. you had to make like a banger for a club. Exactly. There's a, there's a release that just like the, my only release that, that came out this year, um, yeah. if you don't count the remixes and stuff, uh, is basically this um, uh, record on Upperberry, uh, the, the, first, the first release in Upperberry, which um, people from Berlin, they, they know them for their club night in About yeah. Blank. Um, so the release is basically um, the, the, the person running the label came to me and said, can you do something different? And it was so liberating making music, which you don't have to think about the structure, um, the playability, the, the usability in the club or whatever. So like the, the B side, uh, and there's one digital remix, all the remixes are very, very club friendly. They're very, um, they're, they're different. They're very nice in their own regard. Uh, and I have played them um, so much. I haven't played either of my tracks in a club <laughs> yeah. because they're just not for the club, but making music um, that doesn't have to follow certain guidelines and stuff like that is so liberating. Yeah. And, um, but it's, it's still, it's still fun to have a certain amount of structure and certain amount of like, okay, th this, this should be a song. So um, while there is joy in just, playing around and saying, okay, this was fun and just leaving the machine. There's also a lot of joy of actually creating something that's musical that doesn't necessarily, it can be electronic or whatever. So we're making electronic music, so it's, it's going to be that. But if it doesn't really fit the, the clubbing world, if it's just like music music, it's also very, 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 very fun. Uh, yeah. Because then you, you're faced with the challenge of creating a structure that is for a song rather than a tool, um, yes. which are very, very different things. Yes, and, and it's, I find it interesting that also like a promoter, essentially Upperberry, uh, asked and allowed you to make something that is not for a club. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, yeah it's, the, um, I, I don't know how to properly pronounce his name. He goes by a Jew. Um, I hope I'm pronouncing it right, but he's very... Uh, very open-minded and very, very, I'm so grateful that we got to do this together because I, I'm also in love with the artwork and everything. Uh, we had so many delays and everything because of Corona and stuff, but it's finally out. So if you guys are curious, just uh, Google it. The release is, um, it's called The New Social Norm. Um, and the, the, the A-side is originals and then there are remixes uh, from Jofar, Hapa and Wallace. Um, yeah, and just and the artwork is by um, Floating Bastard, aka Marco. He's such a he's he's an amazing um, designer from Belgrade. He keeps it very simple, but it's always memorable. Whatever he makes, so um, nice. check it out if you're curious. Uh, I, uh, yes, for sure, and also I will include it in the show notes of this. And uh, so, Floating Bastard, did you choose the the artwork maker, or it was their choice? Um, I recommended him because I was in, in love of his work for some time now. Um, mm -hmm. and it was, it was qu quite easy to get, um, I mean, Jew was very in into, into the, um, his style. So <clears throat> we, we, you know, it, it was, it was a very quick decision. Got it. Yeah. Amazing. And there are potentially like one thing that I wanted to ask. So, uh, uh, is this thing of uh, trying to make so having uh, 
the love for making more offbeat, slightly unplayable tunes, <laughs> but also being driven to do stuff that works in a club. Like, how do you combine that? Because I struggle with that also. Um, I can see it like whenever I, I see it from my music or from other people's music, when you do the broken stuff, you almost flip your audience in two. There's a very little part of people who are like, fuck, and usually those are producers or the geeks of music. Like, <laughs> I love this shit, it's amazing. Like, it just sounds so weird. And like, hello, hello, how you process this and stuff. And then the 97% of the people are like, nobody even mentions that, or they just say, this sucks, you know? Don't yeah, even yeah. play it. <laughs> so there's a, uh, there's a bunch of, um, so the, the, there's a bunch of producers from Slovakia who actually pioneered the style. Uh, they're mostly um, Loktibrada and Rumenigge yeah. and uh, also DJ Boss, um, <laughs> HU, um, who I think he, he came up with a new alias now, but I, I, I keep forgetting the, the name. Um, so what they did was they pioneered this style, which was very broken actually the first kind of offbeat track was a uh, track a uh, release was by steve bicknell back in like 96 wow. 7 or something like that um and let me just try and google the the name of the <clears throat> and, and i guess they, I mean, they, they spread a lot with the audio audio salts now from basmoy i think um audio salt was yeah basmoy and um uh Gervroin, um Gervroin yeah. Lieb Liebricht. Liebricht. um we made them yeah i mean uh, it's amazing producer as well. Yeah. So it's uh, it's the lost recordings. I think it's lo the lost recordings number one. Uh, the wife plus for whom, um, and basically after that uh, there was a lot of um, Slovakian stuff, which was then um, also picked up by the UK crowd and. Um, I need to read them. Well, yeah, the UK crowd, meaning like um, Surgeon Regis, um, the 65D Mavericks, um, James Ruskin, and also some of the, the, the Spanish crew, obviously, like uh, Christian Wunsch, um, um, Oscar Molero, but they weren't as much offbeat as they were like broken beat or whatever, uh, especially Rico. Rico was very broken beat. Um, that's said. So my, my whole point of this was that the Slovak the Slovakians, they, they, they made it right. Like immediately they had this style, which was very, uh, it could always fit on Trezor, for example, which is, yeah. which is predominantly like a four, four label, but at the same time they had elements, which are very, very broken, very offbeat. Um, and it really, really works well. So the problem, my, my problem is that I'm not, um, the music I'm making is not like, okay, I'm inspired by the straight stuff, but I'm going to make it a little bit more offbeat. It's that I'm inspired by the offbeat stuff. And then I'm going to make like stuff that is one step beyond that. Yeah. And, and this is, this is way more removed from the four, four stuff than, um, than most of the, you know, most of the Slovakian stuff. Yeah. Um, and also there's, a there's an element which uh, if, if, when I'm, when I say this out loud, it's, it's going to sound pretentious, but um, mm -hmm. I, I hope that, that it doesn't because um, it's, it's just fact. And this is that uh, people, 
growing up uh, and um, trying to be DJs in our time, we would have to learn to beat match and we would have to learn to beat match really well. Um, And I remember practicing like like crazy on all the offbeat stuff and on like drum bass records which are played at 33 instead of 45 um then like i remember hearing uh the british murder boys track called be like i am which is so confusing um because like the anchor of the loop changes yeah. within a minute you, you mentioned uh, that there in the master class yeah, yeah yeah so oh. um basically when you learn to beat match and those things, which are super broken, like the drum bass stuff was mostly created by using loops, which were organic uh, and were not really quantized and stuff like that. So y- you learn to not beat match on the kick or the snare or the hi-hat, but you listen to the entire loop and then you get a feel for where the anchor of the loop is. And then you align the anchors, yes. which are like these fictional imaginary points in the loop um you 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 beat match them instead of beat matching to any certain element because like a snare could be for example a lot of the new uvb stuff there's only only the kick and the snare are quantized everything else is off the grid which is why yeah. he has the amazing groove but then you cannot rely on the hi-hats to get a beat match um so mm-hmm. when you learn to listen for, to the anchor then all of these problems were like oh it's not possible to beat match are gone. So even though I would love to make music, which is a bit more functional, I yeah. don't have the sense to judge, okay, this is too, um, like, um, you know, staggered or too offbeat or too whatever, because it all sounds to me like it's easy to beat match. It's yeah. not, <laughs> I, I don't hear the problem. That's, that's the thing. So I'm, yeah. I'm not able to get into this mindset to, to differentiate what works and what doesn't. Um, and it's, it's just crazy hard for me to, to do so. So I, I just, whatever sounds good to me, I make it and then I hope that people will play it. And uh, I try to make as much possible stuff so that you know if if i fail with four tracks one track is like the fifth one is going to work so fingers crossed (laughs) that it's two and not just one on on every five of course but there's also the other side which is like you we never control the audience in a way right so yeah what eventually they feel about the track is very subjective relatively and a lot of that is uh to a certain extent is luck unless you make a record because you know it sells that way but when you make a record that you're trying to express what you feel and eventually you always find people who hate it or don't care about it. Or... Of course, yeah. I, I didn't want to release Controller. I was wow. like, oh, I, I fucking hate this. Wow. I mean, I was, I was so tired from the track because I, I had problems with the mix down and hmm. everything. And I was just like, I fucking hate this. I don't want to release it, blah, blah. And then Bass talked me into it. And hmm. I was just like, and it, it was, it was, it was quite a few years before I was able to play it and not cringe. I, I, I read that on your um, post break and post on Reddit, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's interesting because like, so looking back, if you could go back now in time, would you release it? Knowing, you know, what it brought to, like uh, how, in a way, like, do you consider that track as an, an important part of your journey? No? 
Um, I think it was important for other people. And it, it, I mean, it was important for me, meaning that it brought me some attention and gigs and stuff like that. And uh, it's yeah. always important to me because Surgeon played it. And every time Surgeon plays any of my tracks, I just, uh, it just brings me joy. Um, <laughs> and it's um, in, in that regard, sure. But there are tracks which I love. My, my own tracks, which I really, really love playing, and I play them like every set, and they always get a reaction and stuff like that, but people don't, like they, they don't seem to be nearly as popular as, as that one was. Yeah. And then, so looking back at the, at the process, you mentioned that you didn't want to release it, and then Vass said, okay, maybe we should release it. Like, I, I find it interesting that like, um, sometimes as a producer, maybe you, a person needs to go out of their own head and let someone else help them make a choice on whether they should release the track. Because imagine like if you didn't show the track to Bass or you know, the track would have stayed in your hard disk and nobody would have heard it to it. And I, I guess, I mean, it had a positive effect on other people and had a positive effect on you. So I think sometimes it also, do you think it's important to let people help your decision as an artist? Um. Yes and no. It really depends on. I used to, for example, I used to send music to people for uh, feedback, and I would get so many like, "You should do it this way. You should change it this way," and blah blah. Mm. And it took me a while before I could differentiate what was good advice and what was um, adv advice which wasn't necessarily bad, but it was just like someone else's vision of my music. Yeah. Um, and also there was some very bad advice as well. Um, but it's, it's like someone else deciding stuff for you works if you respect the person, um, if you respect their opinion and stuff like that. And even though maybe stylistically Bass and I don't really, um, align perfectly um i mean i love his music i love his sets i don't mean anything um like pejoratively by that i just mean like he's more a 4-4 kind of person and he goes for you know more uh, industrial kind of kinds of sounds and he he has his very very specific style in, in that regard while i'm more like i will play you know uh Aphex or you know uh, like dub, dubstep or whatever so we have very different uh sorry who is that uh, who is that artist uh i i meant Aphex twin uh as like a representer of all idm and oh, then i just oh. and then i just said dubstep because you know uh um, no, 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 of, 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 of course sorry uh, i meant uh, were you referring to someone in particular I, I, I was i was talking about bass Mui. Um, okay, yeah, yeah. but the thing with bass is that he's very he's one of my strongest influences with like I've, I've told you about my angst, my indecision and my like seeing everything negative everywhere and like just seeing the challenges and stuff like that. And I used to like growing up, I would see the challenges everywhere and just give up. I would be like, oh yeah, it's so many things can go wrong. So I'm not going to do anything. And then running into like being lucky enough to meet Bess Mui and to meet, uh, for example, Rebecca. Rebecca is also a huge influence for me. Yeah. Um, just in, you know, in, in this way of, you know, I, I used to think that the, the bigger players, they didn't have these, this indecision and they knew exactly what they were doing and blah, blah, but they're so, um, they're so full of, um, questions and, um, 
they also have indecision and they also have these situations where they are not, you know, not even 100%, not, not even 80, not 50% sure, but the difference between them and myself is that they actually move forward. Like right. they will say, I have no idea, but let me try and let's try this and let's play around with this and stuff like that. So um, having this healthy approach to like, um, like, you know, first of all, what's the worst that can happen? Yeah. Um, and, and if it does, uh-huh. is the, it, it doesn't mean that you're not able to fix it. And, uh, you know, if, if your heart is in the right place and if you work, work really hard, you, you, you can always, whatever situation that you get yourself into, you can, you can, um, claw out of it. So, um, best movie saying, let's release this. Um, it's, it's such a, you know, it's, it's, it's a doubt remover. It, it helps me, um, it helps me alleviate so much of my self doubt and, and self critique and, um, just, you know, he, he's, he's, he's such a positive influence in the scene, I think. And, um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, th- th- thank him for existing. Yeah. 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 I, um, like, I, I don't know him personally. I'm, I've, uh, I have interacted very little with him. It's been always amazing. Every person that knows him personally says his past is, is just really, really good. Like a very, it's like a, a strong pillar for the techno scene for yeah. years, yeah. for decades, actually. Yeah. Very um, much so. And it's beautiful because, I mean, he's in a position where he could just not give a shit about anyone, right? Because he doesn't need to give favors to anyone, but he does it because probably he's very human and he loves what he does. Like, supportive for anyone. He's, he's, so, he's so humble and he works so hard. And he's, um, he, he also knows, like, he, he, was, uh, he spent some time also sort of being lost in the scene. And, and um, I, I remember him t- telling me about this situation where he would play... He spent years playing a certain kind of techno and then he got called, you know, uh, out of touch or whatever by some label and then Blawan playing the exact same records that he played a few years ago and then the same magazine calling Blawan forward thinking. And <laughs> he, he knows, um, <clears throat> I like some people who, um, who just got to the scene and blew up and never uh, got through a period where they were you know, down or not in demand or whatever. He, he knows what it is like to be sort of um, ostracized by the scene. Yeah. Um, not maliciously, but just because like there's, you know, it's, it's the scene, it's, it's, it's still business and there's sometimes things work out, sometimes they don't. Yeah. Uh, so I, he, he, he very, he's so humble. He's so um, compassionate. He's so willing to help out and uh, try something different and um i'm 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 so lucky to 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 you know be a part of his uh the thing that he created yeah of course um there's one question that i wanted to ask about your you recently also launched a feedback circle so you're essentially letting people send you music to a specific email <laughs> uh, <laughs> with specific rules to avoid having tons of like I don't know reggaeton stuff. Not disrespect for other genres, but you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and so, first of all, like, what what brought you to do that? For, I think is amazing. It's super important for all producers. What, what brought you to say I'm going to invest some of my time and my attention to help other producers? Well, the the thing is that uh, I. 
I, I learned music production in two ways. One was the RT FM thing, re- read the fucking manual, um, which, which so many people don't want to do these days because YouTube tutorials and stuff like that. But the thing is, if, if you watch a YouTube tutorial, you always get a, you always get someone else's vision and someone else's workflow and stuff like that. So yeah. RTFM is very, very useful if you want to develop your own style. And then if you're working on a style and you create something and you make a track and you play it um, to yourself, there is, there is a certain um, barrier that you have to break. And um, for this to happen, it's very, very helpful for someone else to hear your music and give you some, some you know, notion of, um whether it's right or wrong yeah so the thing is that i wouldn't be where i am if it wasn't for people like uh voidless um makaton um surgeon best movie um also a bunch of my friends like rory st john um um scalamaria yeah. Um, on tell guys and stuff like that. Like whenever you exchange tracks with someone, ask them for uh, feedback. I have a friend, he mixes like um, Dayan. He's my actually like elementary school friend and he, right. he has a studio and he mixes stuff for metal bands and rock bands. Um, sending stuff to him is very, very useful. Yes. Um, he has a very, very good ear. He, he's like one of those people who can tell you exactly on which frequency to do like two decibels of gain reduction on what element. And you're like, okay, thank you. Fuck you. <laughs> and uh, he's, uh, yeah, he's, he's very, very talented. And also, so without these people, I, I remember saying, I remember telling Makaton one time, like, I'm I'm thinking of charging people to to do this not like give feedback but to uh, mix their stuff and blah blah and he was like no just like pass it you know pay it forward uh, pass it on always mm-hmm. and it just you know whilst I do want to be a teacher at some point and like work in school and still have this thing where you know if if, if you're getting a load of knowledge and stuff like that I I don't mind um, getting paid for it. But at the same time, if you're just sending me a track or two to listen to, I don't mind giving you my time. The thing is that I've been giving feedback for a few years now, and um, it got to a point where every day I get so many requests for, from people to play their music, mm-hmm. and um, it actually became quite stressful because I don't, I feel like shit if I say no or forget yeah. about it or whatever. Um, so at yeah, like January this year, I actually took a, like a month break from listening to other people's music. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, I was thinking about, even before Corona, I was thinking about doing this thing where uh, once per week or two weeks, I would sit down, go through people's music, give them feedback uh, on Twitch, which I'm a big fan of because I, I love playing video games. So Twitch is like, um, you know, the way people watch football, I just turn on Twitch yeah. and watch people play video games. So um, it's, a, it's a platform which is kind of familiar to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and during this Corona time, as you know, I did like production um, streams where I would do production and answer people's questions or tell them, yeah. like show them t- tips and tricks. So there was a certain community that was built around this and I really, really enjoyed that. So this absolutely makes sense. Like a combination of 
um, interaction and, um, you know, it's, it's just like, I, I, it's just like three hours of my time per week. Um, so it's, it's not too much and it means the world to someone, maybe, um, maybe just a little bit to someone, uh, but, um, it's also a very nice hangout platform and people get to hear other people's music and then, you know, um, hopefully some label might actually see this as something interesting and, and, uh, sit in on the listening sessions because there's so much really good stuff, um, uh, coming in. Um, and I'm, I'm, yeah. I, have, I have to say that it also brings me some hope to hear so much um, stuff which doesn't sound like other music. It doesn't sound like, okay, this is the way you do acid techno and then I, you right. know. Um, but it, it, people are coming up with some very interesting ideas um, and very personal uh, expressions. So it, 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 it's, it's sort of, it, it brings me joy and it brings me hope uh, and people get something out of it. So it's, 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 I see it as a, like a two way transaction, so to say. It, 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 I think is indeed like, a, I love that concept. And do you think that you're getting that this, let's call it um, educated musicians is not, not in a positive way. I mean, I'm not trying to make sound other musicians that are not educated, but what I want to <laughs> say is that like you have a kind of, maybe you nourish like a selected crowd of people mm -hmm. who interact with you with respect. And then maybe when they send you a track, it's, it's a personal thing that they're sending to you. It's not just like a, they're sending shitloads of demos in a BCC email and yeah, they yeah. end up like having to listen to weird stuff. Do you think it's because you, you kind of created this community around you with perhaps with the streams? Not really. I, I think there's the, the community that I speak of is it's a it's a small group of people, and, but most of the people who come to the streams, I, I've only done two so far, and I'm I'm doing like basically every Monday from six to nine, uh, 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 like a session. And a lot of people who come in and send in music are people I don't really know. Hmm. Um, so I think anyone is grateful to get a chance to have their music listened to. Yeah. Um, if, if, but, and, but the thing is that I keep, um, that this, this in no way answers your question, but it's just, um, I think it's important to mention that the feedback that I give is my feedback and it's, it's everything that I say is shaped by, by my knowledge and my taste, uh, which in no way means that it should be done. It's just like an opinion and a suggestion especially when someone sends me like Psytrance, which people please don't send me Psytrance. There's nothing I can do for you. Um, and it, it's just like, you know, there's, there's people who send me stuff that I, I generally don't know what to say to it. Not because it's bad, but because it's, it just falls out of what I listen to and what I think about and know about. Um, yeah. So there's all kinds of, and it's also Twitch. So if you, if you, you know, you get around a lot of random people who don't really, um, who have no idea who I am. They just want to wow. get some feedback for their stuff. Um, so it's, it's, I, I think it's a very, it's a very open platform and it's a very open like call to participate. So there's a lot of people who will come get a feedback and then never come back, which is absolutely fine by me. Um, there's, there's no, there's no nothing involved like loyalty or whatever. Got it. Got it. Okay. And, uh, one related topic, which is like education. So I think there's two sides of it. One is that like, okay, so you seem to be oriented toward, toward teaching other people, at least music, mm -hmm. like, 
And if I remember correctly, you mentioned to me that you are going to start a university to eventually with the aim of also teaching subjects, right? Is, is that, am I right or? Oh yeah, uh, actually I finished, um, I have a diploma in sound design and uh, sound recording and sound design, which is basically doing sound for movies and uh, mm -hmm. commercials. Um, right now I'm finishing my master's studies in the same area, although I'm trying to combine that with music production in a way. So my ma master thesis is, um, using samples as building blocks, um, within the, um, within the like combination of sound design and, and music. Um, so I would love to teach, uh, and the next step would be to get a doctorate somewhere, um, and, and maybe, maybe get to be a professor, but more importantly, get to apply for, uh, research papers and do projects and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I, I, I wish, so this is coming from a person who plays video games. Uh, but at the same time, I wish I had more time for all the things that I'm interested in. Um, uh, so I would love to learn, for example, electronics. I would love to learn to first uh, s s solder things and to like reconnect and maybe circuit bend and stuff like that. And then to get deeper into it and know how to, um, you know, like in investigate and research different types of distortions and what happens and whatever, but also then go into like theoretical when it comes to uh, harmonies and rhythms and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so I would, I would very, very much love to teach and I would, it, I see it as, as this selfish thing where basically um, I, I would get to invest into hearing more good music in the future. Um, but at the same time, I feel like, just being a part of the scene and being alive and listening to so much good music, not only when it comes to electronic music, but also um, I listen to a lot of different, a lot of different genres and stuff like that. I just feel very, very grateful to um, be able to do that, to enjoy so much different music. And I feel a sense of um, debt, so to say, to give back not only to the scene, which gave me so much, uh, so, so much good times and like um, um, a, a career as well, but also to give to the entire sort of music scene, um, not, not music scene, but like music itself um, in a way. So I'm, I'm always thinking of ways to do that. Whether it's, it's like, you know, I've, I've, I wanted to quit so many times because of, to quit your, your um, uh, let's call it education or quit? No, 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 to quit the scene and everything. Wow. It's just like um, anyone who grew up in the 2000s know that it was much, much different in that period than it is today. Just like the values, the, um, the, the things that got you had, the, the love for the underground, the sort of gatekeeping, which is a word often used uh, in the negative context, but I don't, th th there are, there are some things that need to be gate, gate kept. Um, mm -hmm. so like making sure that the underground is the underground and that, uh, corporate sponsors, which are often very helpful and very, uh, useful to the scene thriving also don't necessarily 
get us to only think about the money and only think about the tickets sold, but also get us to experience some stuff which is not like, uh, which has a lot of value in the artistic, but not necessarily financial. So um, a lot of that is gone. A lot of the old scene is gone and it makes myself and pe people sim similar to me really want to quit. But at the same time, since the scene gave me so many years, which are very, very, which make me very happy, I at least owe it so much to, you know, stay active and, and, and try to bring the values that I think are um, good to have in, in this kind of scene. Yeah, yeah. Um, there are two questions. One is a, is a easy one. It comes from the audience. The other one is a deeper one. The easy one is that, is there any music theory, production book or resources that you would, you would recommend to someone who is becoming a producer? It comes from a, a guy on Instagram called SRCX9. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's not his or her real name, but yeah. <laughs> any books that you would recommend to people? Uh, there's, um, uh, there's a very, very useful book called, <clears throat> sorry, Making Music... Um, uh, which is by Dennis DeSantis. It's uh, called Making Music 74 Creative Strategies for Electronic Music Producers. It's sort of uh, published by Ableton, actually. Wow. Um, it's, it's a very useful book if you are into making electronic music. And it has some very nice um, methods of like approaching the, the music production process and everything. Um, there's also a PDF that was floating around made by object where he describes his, um, creative process and it has some very, very interesting points in, in there. Yeah. Um, there's also music, which is uh, video, which is for like video game design. Mm -hmm. Um, um, it's called theory of fun. Wow. Theory Fun for Game Design by Raf Koster. <clears throat> it's very, um, it's obviously for video games, but if you're in any way into video games um, and you understand them, the way they work and everything, then it sort of boils down to, um, if, you, if you quantize everything he's saying in the book, it's about create, creativity. And then there's some stuff which is specific to video games, obviously, but you can you can basically apply yeah. it to to um, crea creativity yeah. as well. So I don't know what else I would recommend. There's, um, I mean, my 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 recommendation would always be watch a lot of tutorials, but make sure to always keep in mind that this is someone else's process. So if you learn something from a tutorial, that's great, but try to make it yours. Try to yeah. evaluate if it, this is something that you need, you like, you want, and um, if there is any way to alter it and do it differently. Also, a lot of the things that I have come to understand is basically through just analyzing stuff. Like if there's, um, you know, just knowing the tools, knowing what reverb does, what compression does, what this and that. And then you get to, um, if you hear a track, you get to hear, okay, that's how he did this, you know, compression or this trick with the vocal and the reverb and stuff like that. Um, so, and then you, if you really like how it sounds, you, you get to, um, yeah. 
you know, apply it in your way and stuff like that. So my, my only suggestion for reading all of this and doing all of this is find your own way. Think yeah. about it enough to create your own methods and your own, um, you know, um, workflow and your own approach to music. Uh, so to have your music sound like you and not like, you know, whoever is yeah. the most paid DJ at the moment. Uh, I definitely agree. And that, 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 like, it would be such a shame if people like, uh, only went for the, whatever, whatever exists and is successful already route, because you will lose people terribly eventually. Like, yeah, yeah. It's a lot of uh, beautiful stuff. And this yeah, something, exactly. I think you, you made very clear at this point when we did the, the masterclass with you. And um, it strikes me that also like um, Scala Maria, who just did another masterclass with us, uh, he, he basically said the same thing. He said, yeah, you know, whatever I'm telling you right now, it's my process. Pick something you like and just do it your way. That's, that's the secret. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. lots exactly. of hours. <laughs> yeah. Nice. It's, it's, it's so easy to sound good. Like if you understand yourself and you understand what you like, and then first of all, you're, you're going to be passionate about creating your thing way more than if you're creating someone else's vision. And then also you get to understand the intricacies and the small details which actually make the music magical. So um, every time trying to chase someone else's sound, it's, it doesn't work. It, it, it creates, it might put you on a map, but it doesn't put you on a map for, for a long time, you know? Yes, yeah. it's just uh, I don't know. It's it's cheap. It's kind of it's dishonest. P people are very much here if it's you, and uh, even if you don't get like a you know a million yeah. fans or whatever, the the five fans which are big fans of what you do are going to be fans of you, yeah, and not your interpretation of whoever you know is famous. Yeah, and, and in addition to that, I think it also brings to a real fulfillment or, or at least you get more chances to get to fulfillment because if you're just trying to do something that already exists and if that doesn't reflect who you really are, you're like really, there's a bit of a mismatch or at least you're not going deep into who you are. And it's yeah, yeah, exactly. Tricky thing. Um, two more serious questions and then I have like the few very small uh, rapid fire questions to wrap up. The... This is like when I come across your work and, and, and you as a person, like, I think I, I consider you a person who is a deep thinker. You really think about stuff and, and deep into your craft as well. And at the same time, we were discussing that before, like you have a very good sense of humor. You don't take yourself and anything like too seriously. Like, do you, do you find the same? Like, do you think the same about yourself? And uh, if so, like, have you ever thought about what, what, made you develop this kind of uh, personality or outlook in the, of the world? Um, well, there's, for most people who are artists, there's a certain dose of narcissism <laughs> and egocentricity, which really, really does you know well. Like it, it ostracizes people, it pushes, um, good things away from you and it um gives you a false sense of um accomplishment where when there's so much more to learn and experience and you know grow um so yeah i was relatively young when i realized this and then started working on this um the one danger of working on this is that if you 
if you work on it too hard as I did, then you just start shitting on yourself and then you, <laughs> you sort of ruin your confidence and stuff like that. But, um, I'm, I'm, I'm working on getting it back. So the, the, if, if you, I still have issues with the ego. I still have, um, moments where I'm too, too egocentric. I'm, I'm not aware of stuff outside of my, you know, um, uh, vision of of reality, so to say, but I was what really helped me was being close to people who are very very different from me, and uh, seeing them approach things and solve situations uh, in a way that would never occur to me, and that my old self would say this is rubbish. The way they are doing this is wrong. I know the only right way. Yeah. And then seeing them apply this different method and actually get results in a way which is much more rewarding than my way um, yeah. really made me realize, okay, you're, you know, shit, <laughs> like, you know, fuck all about the world and the way everything is. Yeah. So um, it's, it's, it's sort of, you know, but, but then again, like I said, there's a danger of believing this too much like you don't know anything and you know you, you then you get this point of indecision that i keep mentioning where you're yeah. like oh is this you know the right way or is this the right way and blah blah um so it's very very helpful um it's also it's especially very helpful if you have this spotlight on yourself which i don't really have it too much um i, I you know the the way i do music and the my approach to music guarantees that I will never be a superstar. Um, yeah. But but you still get this point, which is not realistic, where once per week you get two hours when, when everyone is looking at you, and you get you get the you know you get the jukebox controls, which is like <laughs> it's the ultimate. You know, like when people get gather on the party and everyone's like fighting over YouTube, like what. what what's gonna play now you know oh, fuck your side side you know <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah so so you, you get this like yeah. two to four hours where you're you're the you're the person of the space and uh it's even though it's an amazing feeling it's not realistic and this is not you know you you're just first of all there's a there's professions which are way more important than what we do right there's there's very essential things and but we're just as humans we're programmed to give certain things way more attention and way more um to be way more grateful for certain things because the it's apparent benefits are much more immediate and much more um yeah um like just agreeable and pleasant um so first of all, it's, it's not realistic. Like uh, drawing any conclusion from that is not, um, you know, you, you're not more important than the person selling you groceries. You're actually arguably, as we can see now in this situation, you're way more, you're less essential. Than, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so it's, it's very, very good to keep this in check and to um, keep yourself grounded um, so that you don't, give yourself this false feeling of importance. Um, and, but then at the same time, you have to remind yourself that you are lucky to get this experience and to enjoy uh, attention and to most of all, meet so many people um, 
which want to talk to you and want to share their um, life and um, you know culture and stuff with you and um, that you're lucky enough to if you meet like 100 people and one of them becomes your friend um, I read I read some article about a research which says that basically you meet um, most people meet their best friends um, until their mid 20s and then like the new people you meet you don't really let your into your life so much and you don't really get to um, you know you're you're stuck with the with the people your mind has already decided are your friends but with this job you get to meet so many people and um, people who you just click with instantly and who because you're not in your country and you're somewhere else and uh, yeah. you, you get all these like cheat codes in your head, which help you uh, like you feel like you're sort of dependent on them. And then uh, your brain sees them as like opens up more to them. And then you get to actually have a friend, um, yeah. even though otherwise you would have like all these walls built up and, you know, um, yeah. so it's, it's such a great job to do it's such a great profession um but all of that can very easily go away if you're an asshole so so um yeah try not to be an asshole is is the is the mantra uh that that's very good to have yes when you're when you're a dj slash producer slash musician when you get a lot of attention from people in general yeah yeah exactly whatever question you end up doing or or activity and My, my final uh, deep question is about the um, sense of anxiety and depression that a lot of people feel um, mm-hmm. included. So um, I throw myself in that bucket, but I think it's, mm-hmm. it's almost like something that affects deeply our generation. That's my opinion. I see tons of people who are in their, between their 20s and 30s, they are, say, or, and effectively are feeling a strong sense of depression and anxiety. And I've, I've read during the lockdown, one of your big posts, uh, that it was very interesting for me to read because I think you also made me think about stuff about myself. Like, do you, first of all, like, do you feel that this is something that particularly affects our generation uh, more than others that came before us? And if so, do you think there is any reason, any specific reason, perhaps linked to our lifestyle, social media, social interaction that drives that? Um... I think yes and no. I think depression was always a thing. Um, we are just way better these days of uh, diagnosing different mm. uh, things that, that bother us or, um, you know, push us towards the unhealthy side, so, so to say. Um, I think I think that's a part of it. I think we always had people who were depressed and stuff. That said, we are built in a certain way and we are prone to, um, so, so just, just to make sure, uh, we, we understand each other. We're not talking about, so I, I made a, I made a very rigid and, um, imprecise, um, distinction between causal depression and endemic depression, meaning causal depression as, you're sad because something happened, like you broke up, someone passed away, um, you know, like a project you invested a lot of time in, got canceled, whatever, yeah. um, which is, you know, you have a fair reason to be depressed and sad and it, goes, 
it, it basically goes away with time in most cases. Yeah. And it helps to talk about it and it helps to discuss it with yeah. someone and it helps to sometimes if you just have a realization uh it goes away yeah the other thing is endemic depression which is basically a feeling of um to put it mildly feeling down because your biology is um out of balance so you're you're lacking happiness hormones uh for whatever reason and um instead of you feeling down being caused by something happening, you are starting to think in a certain way because your biology is pushing you towards that. Yeah. And uh, simil- in a similar way that, for example, uh, PMS, because of hormonal um, you know, changes and stuff like that, pushes you towards different, um, um, di- different moods and stuff. Um, so um, we are talking about the endemic depression which I, I i could even though yeah like i said i think it was always there mm-hmm. there is always uh, this um argument that the way we live today brings a lot of that in first of all there's stress yeah stress for example helps um create cortisol which is like the stress hormone which yeah. also helps ruin the balance that that uh keeps us healthy um there are like the ways we eat stuff like that like a lot of processed sugar is not good a lot of tasty stuff the reason why it's tasty is because it was very difficult to obtain when we were in prehistoric times um, so as, as a dumb example, even though this is like uh, fruit doesn't really, um, help depression, uh, I mean, uh, create depression, um, like fruit is more sweet because you have to actually climb a tree and, uh, you know, try and get it in compared to just berries and vegetables, which are in the ground and they're easier to get. So it's like, we are built to be rewarded for things which are very hard to, um, obtain. So milk um red meat stuff like that it's super tasty but it's not <laughs> it's not supposed to be like a, da- a daily diet thing right um and basically the way we eat also um hel- helps create this um being in nature helps alleviate any depression um or actually uh, helps n- to someone to avoid getting depressed and stuff like that um and also yeah social media is like a constant dopamine fix which just sort of empties your reserve um and it's very very much like we we are built to occasionally have nothing in our mind to not have worries to not have um things that that um encumber us through sheer existence of like having thoughts and processing stuff and blah, blah, we, we need a, we need some respite, which is, I guess why meditation has become so popular in, in past like 20 years and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I think yeah. the internet has sped up things a, a lot and brought, I think like exponentially increased amount of stress and rushing. And, um, I think we forgot to be in the now and here, which I also have a huge problem with. Of course. Um, 
we, we are always um, overstimulated with, with stuff that are in a way it's easier to go and check your Instagram or Facebook and check and get satisfaction from likes than actually having to put your work in something that might give you satisfaction at some point or exactly exactly that, that's, that's the concept of uh, yeah. short-term happiness versus long-term happiness so yeah. if like um, it's it's so the, the the problem with with the current climate of the internet and everything is that we're we've sort of sort of gotten numb because there's so many things which give you instant satisfaction and there's so much of it we have gotten numb to the concept of like yeah. our our feeling threshold has gotten higher yeah so so experiencing um so, so th th there's a shift in perception of things. For example, I have grown to see happiness as actually um, being content with things um, and, and opposed to me like five years ago, seeing happiness as some ecstasy or, yeah. you know, e e explosive emotion of like, constant joy and 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 um like overwhelming overwhelming sense of joy and and yeah. um it, it's 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 just a thing of like and now now i'm trying to like just um scaling back on things that gives us instant satis satisfaction leaves room for emotions which are less explosive to be felt and enjoyed it, it's it's taking me less numb to them and then giving me more satisfaction from those like quiet but constant like um cuddles of of life you know just it's 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 the small things you know it's it's uh th there's there's two ways to look at having a car it's like there's always a better car which will give me more joy and more whatever you know um, but then there's like, okay, this is a car and it can take me to a place where it's far away from where I work and I can get to enjoy some sight and spend time with friends, which are also, um, less distracted by whatever it is that happens in our hometown and blah, blah. So, um, I think that's also a big part of it. Like the, the, the culture of I and instant gratification, uh, which takes away from actual, joy of living which is we're so lucky we're so um you know just just thinking about this like you're you're a thousand kilometers away from me and we're talking about things that we're lucky to be able to think about yes. and you know experience so um that i think that very much helps yeah. um at the same time it is way more than just thinking about things and, and having like this grateful um, outlook on life. And there are people who are way more inclined to have this um, um, biological imbalance and to, um, and, and to get to experience depression, whether they want it or not, whether they're on, you know, medication or have the healthiest outlook on life and stuff like that. And, um, there's, I think there's a need to de, um, what, what's the actual word to like debunk or 
well, both debunk and there's there's a certain stigma around depression and people don't really want to talk about it and they don't want to demand. So for example, if you're depressed and someone tells you there's nothing to be depressed about, that's a very shitty thing to say to someone who's like, it's not rational. You're not depressed because there's a reason. It's just a biological thing. It's, 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 it's just as shitty as telling someone who's in PMS to calm down. Uh, so it's, it's just like a thing, but there are ways you can help someone. You can like hug them. You can, um, you know, help them, I don't know, clean the, the apartment or whatever that, that would make them feel, uh, better and, and nicer and stuff like that. Um, so, and it's very, very easy. It's just like, there's a lot of misconceptions. There's a lot of misunderstanding with this condition. Yeah. So I think there needs to be more, uh, discussion on the, on the, on the topic in yeah. a way, not in a way that I'm explaining things for the past hour. And uh, <laughs> like, I, I'm, I'm very, as you can notice, I'm very bad at um, expressing myself in a sentence or two, but uh, there needs to be a discussion, which is very, very much clear and uh, very simple and to the point uh, so that people can easily understand the, the situation with this um, condition. And um, once it's, uh, it's understood, it's so much easier to deal with it and to help someone who's in pain. And uh, I, I've come to realize this, especially during the, because of the Black Lives Matters mm-hmm. situation, because that brought to my attention that I've always considered myself not racist. And because of that, I always dismiss the problem. So if everybody in my circle would talk about racism, I'm like, yeah, I know it's a problem, but it's not a problem in my circle. Like I live in London, I'm in a wide privileged position and I've been lucky enough to, to have been in a circle where people are quite open-minded. And so I have not seen and experienced racism myself, mm. but it does not make the problem non-exist. Mm. So when someone would come to me and say, hey, you know, this thing happened, or I'm like, let's just not think about it. Like, you know, there's certainly an explanation. Maybe you are perceiving that in a way. So, and that's sometimes the, the behavior that I have adopted unconsciously when someone said, you know, I'm thinking about this thing and I'm feeling down about that. I'm talking about more the causal um, depression than the endemic, which is kind of a different problem, but yeah, then yeah. he's missing it and saying, Hey, you know, there's nothing to be worrying about. Like, you know, come on, like things are going to be okay. It is no, a very good way to solve the problem and actually you're kind of telling the person shut up which is the opposite of what exactly we're saying which is like let's talk about it and you know i'm not a psychologist i'm not gonna probably be able to help you but i'm gonna listen to you i'm gonna hug you that's helpful that's already very helpful the thing is that that um it's um by the way i i I actually had the same experience i grew up in serbia first of all there's like no black people here and we never had slavery and we were uh on like yugoslavia slash serbia was the head of uh the uh alliance of the non non non-aligned or whatever the the name was it and we had so many allies from african countries and we were basically taught that you know colored people were our allies and stuff like that um, and I just, like, if, if you see a black person in Serbia, most often the reaction is going to be, Hey, you know, friend, hello, how are you? Blah, blah. You know, people are going to be excited to see someone. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I remember seeing, like when I was a kid, seeing talks about racism. I was like, ah, you guys are just <laughs> sensitive, <laughs> whatever, you know, like the, whatever the asshole-ish uh, reaction to that would be. And I remember landing in the US, spending just a little bit of time there. And just, it, it was just like in the pores. You could, you could sort of sense it without even talking to people that there's this like racial division between people and just the way right. that everyone sees each other. Um, and it's so real, but at the same time, I also, like I experienced, a, like we, we had a very strong campaign against Serbians and large during the nineties for, for, you know, multiple reasons. Um, and I did experience people treating me differently because I'm Serbian and stuff like that. Um, and it's so easy to, to assign someone else's struggle to something that you went through, you know, just <laughs> as a Serbian, even to this day, there's uh, so many, like, just when it comes to my career, it's just like the st the standard is different. The gear is more expensive here. The mm -hmm. income in local scene is way less. Uh, the flight tickets are more expensive than they would be if I lived in like Berlin. Yeah. Um, and I would see this as hardships that you just overcome and deal with and you, you kind of move forward. So there's a, there's a way of like, okay, this is life isn't fair. Um, it can never be fair. And with a certain amount of unfairness, you just have to deal with. And then it's so easy when someone tells you that they have a great injustice in their life to assign it to something that you dealt with and say, oh yeah, this is, this is, this is the same as I did, blah, 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 you know, and just yeah. went through and you should do the same and stuff like that. But it's, um, That's such a fact, yeah. it's so we we are not built for this we are built for empathy towards a certain amount of people and even that is not absolute um and it it requires a conscious effort to understand and to to um to to try to you you cannot even know how it is but you can try to imagine and to always leave room for the other person to say you don't get it and then for you to shut up and accept it that you don't get it. You know, so sometimes I would talk to a person and I would end the conversation and still not agree with them, but it would plant a seed in me that would grow within the next few years. And I would like remember it in two years time and just, it would make sense then, or it would like just a snippet of it might actually open up something for me or something like that. So of course, I really, really think that we, despite the ever increasing speed of communication and, you know, stuff happening, we really, really need to move back to actually talking about things and hearing each other out. Uh, yes, I, I agree. And, and unfortunately, yes, social media kind of forced us in, into the, into like shortening everything in the communication, but also the, not necessarily to have a conversation. It's more like a one-way thing where you, you share something and you kind of shut down reactions or you are allowed to shut down reactions and things like spread in a way that might not represent the actual uh, concept. Mm. Or at least like they, don't, they don't give like a, a way for people to communicate and interact. Mm. Um, but, okay, so... 
Oh, you, you, you wanted to say something to go, right. No, no. I, well, I, I'm, I, I'm thinking about things, but um, um, I, 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 I think I've basically said everything. I, I, yeah. if, if I go on, I'm just going to uh, repeat myself over and over again. I will go on for hours, but let's, let's make it <laughs> interesting for, for who is going to be listening to this podcast. Yeah, then. Yeah. So let's go to the wrap up. What is a, a guilty pleasure track? Something that you love outside of your um, DJ set type of tracks that you would never play or you never played yet because it was in the moment. Mm, guilty pleasure. I don't really have guilty pleasures. I, I, I stand by every track I love. <laughs> I'm very much into Justin Timberlake. Wow. I grew up listening to MTV and um, I love Timberland. Um, I really love his production. He's like the only pop person I follow on Instagram and I love the random beat he made for random people. Um, he's very groovy. He has some very interesting rhythms and I love the tape saturation on most of his stuff and stuff like that. And most of the collaborations he has with Justin Timberlake are amazing. So for example, the, the uh, Filthy, the, the, the main track of Justin's last album was just crazy structure of a track i wish it was a bit groovier uh but just the the the, the build-up the tr transitions everything it's just I, I, you know it's still pop but at the same time what the fuck is happening wow. so i love stuff like that it, it, it's it's yeah super cool i'm gonna check it out actually filthy yeah. Yeah. filthy nice and and then last question is um the tradition of uh, the homo sound interviews which is um we ask everyone, what is a question that you think we should ask our next guest without knowing who they're going to be? Um, hmm. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's very meta. Um, <laughs> to be easy or hard, as you wish. Um, what is the one album that you think people don't know about and should really listen to yeah especially if it's outside of electronic music yeah uh, amazing yeah and as you might expect there is one for you <laughs> <laughs> like this is deep so which is what makes your life meaningful uh music yeah I've, I've i've grown to realize that it's music I, it was for me for a long time it was video games and music um but with video games it still sometimes happens it still gives me i i grew up reading all these fantasy and sci-fi books and stuff like that and with video games you get to actually interact in a story um but the older I am, just because like the target group is always younger people, uh, the older I am, the, the more difficult it becomes uh, for me to actually um, run into something that, that gets me um, going. So, for example, the last time that happened was actually this year. Uh, Disco Elysium was the, was the game. Mm. Uh, and it like within two hours, it got me to laugh out loud tear up wow. think about like not the meaning of life but think deeply about some concepts which had to do with politics 
Um, and it's, it's just, it's a very interesting concept of a game. It's just like an RPG, but it's, it's so interesting. And, uh, but the, also the older I am, the more genres I get to enjoy and, and understand. And the more, um, the more I get to, so with the, with the video games, it, it because I'm this age, and I'm still into them, it actually, like, with every passing year, it, it, I get to connect with people less and less yeah. over video games, uh, whilst with music, it's the other way. So the more I understand music, the more I love it, the more I can share something with someone that I think they would love and then bond with the, them over it. So it's like, it's not a, only the thing that really brings me joy on a personal level, but also brings joy to others around me and helps me um, amplify my enjoyment of it through empathy and like, yeah, joint enjoyment, so to say. Um, so it's really a thing worth living for and also giving back to. Yeah, yeah. So music is kind of a conveyor of empathy and connection with other people. Yes, very much so. Um, it's, it's, I, I remember talking to my professor of, um, um, the, the direction, um, I don't know if that's the right word, but like, um, he teaches movie, the direction and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and he said something like that, that he doesn't with music, he can only enjoy it if someone else is listening to it. So it's, it's yeah. sort of like yeah. you, you experience that joint um, understanding and excitement about a musical piece. And then it's hard to go back to only yourself listening to it. So um, yeah. I, I knew exactly what he meant by, by saying that. Yeah. Uh, amazing. I think we can end on this uh, inspiring and beautiful note. Uh, like it's been a pleasure to, uh, to speak with you and, and, yeah, to interview you and, and get to know you even more as a person, as a being and as an artist as well. Thank, yeah, thank you for having yeah. me. Uh, I hope your listeners don't die of boredom. <laughs> Me just droning on and uh, they, about stuff. They, they want. I'm, I am pretty confident that there's going to be someone, maybe not all the people that end up listening, that are going to listen till the end. And maybe we should need like figure out a giveaway for people who make it until the end of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Find the Easter egg at the end. <laughs> maybe, maybe. But anyways, but I think it, someone will enjoy it truly. And thank you for sharing all the things and, uh, you know, being very open about everything. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having me. As you know, I, I enjoy doing uh, things with your crew. Thank you so much for, for you know, for the support and the, uh, for telling me this. And any latest projects that you want people to check if they're interested in? And by the way, I've, I've made notes of everything we discussed, so I have like a couple of the pointers for people who want to listen to, including your feedback circle. But anything else? Yeah, sure. Well, um, not really. Um, um, I, I, would, I would more likely urge people to use this time to explore other um, musical genres and discover new new bands because if you're not going to the club now would be the perfect time to uh <laughs> to try and discover some 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 new music which doesn't necessarily come from the big speakers um 
for example, because it's summer and because it's scorching hot, at least where I am, I would very much recommend to anyone to check out Tina Riven. They are, um, they play barber traditional music with the um, like American blues guitar approach. And if there was a band that was, um, that was conveying their love uh, for the sun and the desert, um, Tina Riven is, is the one. So for example, start there, (laughs) check them out. If you hate them, just randomly click another YouTube thing and go for it. It, so the name is Tinet, not Tina River. No. Tina Riven, T I N A R I W E. Wow. N. Tina Riven. Okay. Wow. Nice. Amazing. Like, thanks so much for uh, for being with us again. And yeah, pleasure to speak with you. Yep. Thank you for having me. Speak soon. Nice. Okay, guys, this is Joseph, and this is the outro. If you really like the content, I wanted to ask you, please consider liking us on Instagram or leaving a review on the podcast. Whether you're using that on Apple is very useful for us, and your comment makes all of our work worth it. Also, if you have any guests that you really would like us to chat with, let us know. We take any suggestion or any feedback, and we use it to improve and direct what we're going to do next. If you're a producer and you're interested in masterclasses with artists such as Scalameria, VSK, Romek, Lag, and many more, you can now check our website homosound.co.uk. We have plenty of classes and more are coming as well. So brace yourself, you're going to get a lot of content. And one last thing, shout out for Vlad for editing this podcast and Declan for creating the content that you all see on social media. Plus, of course, uh, big thanks to Juliana, Flaminia, Alessandro and Rick from Tapefeed for all the rest of the work at Homo Sound. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time at Homo Sound.